You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I am Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and rock-solid TV and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists, we are not real doctors, but we are real TV critics and movie critics. So, Rafer, shall we get to this week's letters? Yes. Our first letter is from our patient, Julie, who writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I recently accepted a supervisory position at a hospital and start in two weeks. This is a huge step in my career, which comes with a substantial pay raise. I should be excited. But the truth is, I love my current job. My boss, who is also moving on, and I have become great friends, and my co-workers are really wonderful. Everyone loves me here, and I'm scared my employees won't like me or that I will crumble under the pressure. I know growth requires leaving my comfort zone. I know this is the right move for me, but I'm still so anxious. Any recommendations on something I could watch to help me get through this stressful time? Oh, Rafer, I know this pain. Do you have you have you ever been promoted before and had to deal with the agony of like, am I going to be a bad boss? Am I going to lose all my friends at work? Have you gone through that before? No. Uh, here, <laughs> although my, I mean, here's why, I mean, I've, I've gone from job to job, but you know, usually it's sort of been from this publication to a slightly bigger publication to a slightly bigger publication, but I've, I've never, um, gone and been like an editor or, you know, so it's sort of, mm-hmm. and you know, for you, it's been a little different. I think you've sort of, you've kind of gone up the ladder and for me, it's sort of like there's not really another necessarily an, an up that I'm like super bucking for necessarily. Do you know what I'm saying? So, oh, yeah. I, but I have gone in that sense from place to place and from and from and so dealing with a different group of coworkers, leaving a place that I was maybe just getting settled into or a place that I really liked a lot. Um, so I do kind of know that um, I, I will say, I, I think, you know. Me, reporter, having worked for managers, it's kind of nice to know that managers feel this way as well, yeah. that uh, they, they have a little bit of this syndrome as well. It's, uh, I found that kind of refreshing. 
But how about you, Kristen? You've you've had you've been promoted. You know what it's like to sort of uh, move up and you know get into sort of a new um, a new milieu, so to speak. Yeah, and I got to be honest with you, I didn't want to. I always said I'm a maker, not a manager. I like being out there in the weeds. I like coming up with a story. I like pitching ideas. I want to I want to make the stuff. I want to host the stuff. I want to produce the stuff. I don't want to manage the people who do that stuff. And so I was very, very resistant to it at first. But there was one job I worked um, that they really were trying to, you know, mentor me and push me into that position. And a lot of the people who were direct reports, I was afraid, oh, no, they're not going to be my buddies in the same way anymore. And right. and and it was kind of a bummer because I knew that that was just going to be part of the deal. But it was some of those direct reports who actually took me aside and said, Kristen, you need to take this promotion. Please. Oh, good. Please don't stay back here because you want to be friends with us. Please don't stay back here because you want to just you know, be in the weeds, you can still be in the weeds to a certain extent, you can still like have lunch with us, you can still do lots of things, but you can't hold yourself back. And so I'm so eternally grateful to that was Andrea Salenzi. And that was Sam Dingman, who all right, shout out. Yeah, shout out to those two who took me aside and said, No, you can do this, you can be a manager. And I was so resistant. So Julie, I feel your pain. I know what that's like. I know what it's like, but you're going to do fine. You're going to do just fine. I promise you. You're going to be great at this. And Rafer and I both have uh, prescriptions that we think are going to help you feel a little bit better about your situation. So Rafer, I'm going to let you start. Okay. Um, I'll start with a movie that's um, from 1994. It's The Hudsucker Proxy by Joel and Ethan Cohen. One of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. I think I'm a little bit alone in that. I don't feel like people like the Hudsucker Proxy that much in their sort of canon. Um, but I love it. Anyway, uh, it's got Tim Robbins. He plays a guy named Norval Barnes. He's like a yokel from Indiana. He comes to New York City looking for a job. He's a guy with ideas. It's December of 1958. It's America's prosperous. You know, a man can make anything of himself in this great country. And he gets a job in the mailroom of Hudsucker Industries, a giant corporation of some kind. I'm not sure anyone ever says <laughs> what Hudsucker Industries makes or does. Um, but Norville impresses the boss so much that he becomes president of the company. And it's, it's, it's a dream come true. But of course, that's <laughs> not the actual story. The boss has a plan to take over the company. He wants to buy all the stock. But before he can do that, he needs it to drop in price. And the best way to do that is to install a complete idiot like Norville Barnes at the top. Here's a clip. Just got hired today. You know, entry level. But I got big ideas. When the president, an owner of 87% of the company's stock, drops. Then the company, too, has a problem. What we need now is a new president. Some jerk. My leg is on fire. We can really push around. Yo! Yeah, yo, Barnes! This letter was sent down this morning by the big man himself. Sit down, son. Go ahead. Try it out. Did the board consider you an idea man when they promoted you from the mailroom? Well, I guess so. I don't think they promoted me because they thought I was a schmo. The guy's a real moron. Cigarettes? No, thank you. What an imbecile. Come up with this. Now, Rafer, I don't remember a ton about this movie. I remember it was very quirky, and I remember yes. Jennifer Jason Lee in particular was terrific in it. Of course. Uh, but I don't remember much else about it. T tell us more about why this is going to be a good pick for Julie. Well, 
you know, it's about a guy. I think you can kind of see where this movie's going if you know about movies. It's about this guy who has, you know, been put in a position where everyone expects him to fail, like the boss is expecting, hoping, trying to get him to fail. The boss, by the way, played by Paul Newman. Um, and, you know, instead, the opposite happens. You know, Norville Barnes rises to the top. He rises to the occasion. He works hard. He treats people well. He believes in himself. And when things get hard, he just powers through. And lo and behold, I don't think I'm spoiling anything when I say everything works out. Um, you spoiled. Know. <laughs> Everything's been spoiled, Rafer. <laughs> I'm so you sorry. spoiled it for everybody. <laughs> no, that's not a spoiler. It's not. I think everybody knows that happens. Everybody knows, movie. of course. In the first five minutes of the movie, you know. <laughs> right, of course. Um, you know, and uh, I just, it. I think it's great. I think a lot of the things that I um, liked about it were things that people didn't like about it. It's this kind of weird mix of all these old movies, you know, A Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life, His, His Girl Friday, you know, uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh, as you were saying, plays a reporter named Amy Archer, who's a total His Girl Friday character. Um, and yet the whole thing also looks like Metropolis, the old, you know, sci-fi silent mm -hmm. classic. Um, and a lot of people thought like, ah, oh, it doesn't really hang together. It's kind of goofy and weird and doesn't go anywhere. But I, I loved it. I thought it was funny. I think Tim Robbins is really appealing. And I liked this whole kind of quirky version of, of this very familiar American message, which is, you know, if you get in there and work hard, just give me a chance and I'll show you what I can do. And I love it. And I think that I think the movie says that. And I think our listener, Julie, this is going to happen to you. And you don't have a boss who's trying to get you to destroy the hospital. This this boss, I'm sure, <laughs> wants you to succeed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Kristen, what about you? I am going to recommend a TV series instead. And I am guessing it's a TV series you have heard of before. It is called Parks and Recreation, yes. which aired from 2009 to 2015. It's currently streaming for free on the Peacock app. Rafer, were you ever a fan of uh, Parks and Recreation? I was not a big-time fan, but I have seen it. I did think it was funny. Uh, Amy Poehler, of course. Um, Nick Offerman, who my kids, for some reason, just completely fell in love with. They just thought he was the funniest thing. Um, because they have good taste, that's why. Exactly. he is the funniest. Thing. He is. He's great <laughs> on it. But yeah, it's. I thought it was a really. Um, it was a really good show. It's got that great kind of fast, um, great fast writing that kind of keeps it snappy. That I think a lot of shows have these days. Um, I feel like this was kind of one of the first shows that had that. It's a little bit. It's a little bit Howard Hawks or Screwball comedy or something. The dialogue's so fast, right? And everyone's kind of aware that it's really fast, even though I know it's kind of a mock reality format. Yes. Um, yes. In some ways, some people early on, the first season in particular, felt like, are they just trying to recreate the American office? So right. I will I will say in the first season, it does not quite have its legs. But hmm. after that, it does turn into those things you're talking about, Rafer, uh, very fast writing, almost screwball comedy and so on. And for anybody out there who's not familiar with it, I'm guessing most of you out there are, Amy Poehler plays Leslie Nope. She's a mid-level bureaucrat in a small town Indiana parks and recreation department. She is hardworking. She is organized. She is responsible. She is endlessly peppy. And she earns plenty of eye rolls from her direct reports, as well as lots of respect. And as you mentioned, Rafer, her team includes Nick Offerman, as well as Aubrey Plaza, Aziz Ansari, Retta, right. Chris Pratt, Adam Scott, and the very, very hilarious Rob Lowe. Here's a clip of the show when uh, in one episode she is trying to stay at work even though she is very, very sick. I'm sorry. Are you leaving? I thought we had a meeting. No, we do. It's just I think it's a little chilly in here. 
Are you okay? Your eyes are glassy. Oh my god. Oh my. Is she, is she sick? Are you sick? No. Yeah, she's sick. That's why I'm wearing this and misting myself with hand sanitizer. I'm not sick. I just have allergies, okay? I took a Claritin and I threw that up. So I took another one, I threw that up, and then I took a third and it stayed down. I'm getting better. All right, you're burning up. You're burning up. What? I have to get out of here. I have 2.8% body fat. My body's like a microchip. A grain of sand could destroy it. My body's a microchip. Leslie, go home. No, I can't. I can't go home. I have to get ready for the Chamber of Secrets. Commerce. If this meeting does not go perfectly, then the Harvest Festival is going to be over before it began. I cannot go home. Leslie, I, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. That's very good. <laughs> now, Julie, here's the thing. Um, this is the lesson I want you to take away from this show. You can be the best boss in the world, just like Leslie Nope. You can be hardworking. You can be organized. You can see the potential in people and mentor them in the same way that Leslie Nope does. And even then, not everyone's going to love you all the time. And that is fine because the price you pay for being the boss and keeping the train on the tracks and being the person where the buck stops is that sometimes people aren't going to like you. Sometimes they're not going to like your decisions. Sometimes they're not going to want to hang with you after work and have a drink. And that's okay because you have a tough job of having to sometimes say no to people, of sometimes not being the fun one in the office anymore. And I'm sorry that that's the case, but there are all these other great rewards you will get. And that is those moments of being able to advocate for your team, those moments of being able to push forward agendas that you think are better for the organization. And so revel in those things and then do one other thing that Leslie Nope does. Make sure you have at least one very solid friend outside of work that you can vent to as much as you want to, that you can, you know, uh, you know, run your ideas past and so on. In the case of Leslie Nope, her best friend is Nurse Ann Perkins, played by Rashida Jones, who is very funny on the show. So do that. And uh, just a couple warnings. As I already said, the first season of the show is not so good. <laughs> and, 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 and then the other warning, don't pay attention to any scenes with Jerry. Jerry is one of the workers who, unfortunately, Leslie kind of, along with her staff, sort of uses him as like the scapegoat sometimes. Leslie Nope <laughs> is normally a great boss, except when Jerry's there. So don't don't pay attention to any scenes with Jerry. Um, those scenes make me sad, but I promise you Jerry comes out on top at the end of the series. At the end of all those Aww. seasons, Jerry pretty much is the winner over everybody. He, he's even more of a winner than Leslie Nope at the end. So it all works out fine in the end. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. I should try it again. We, um, I, you know, I, I watched it with my kids for a while. I think we got sidetracked by something else. It was either The Good Place or it was something else. We had a bunch of different shows in circulation. But um, Christian, I'm glad you recommended that. I'll give it another shot. I think you're really going to like it. And I think your kids will think it is hilarious. All right. So once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, Parks and Rec, and from me, the Hudsucker Proxy. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, thank you, everybody out there who's taken the time to rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts. For example, Counterpoint 1500, who is possibly a stove or a computer, recently gave us five <laughs> stars and wrote... Movie therapy has a great structure that gives space for Rafer and Kristen's cheerful camaraderie while staying focused on the questionable advice and excellent movie and TV recommendations. They're fantastic at what they do while being genuine and humble the whole time. 
That's very nice of you, Counterpoint 1500. All right. Well, stay with us. When we're back, we tackle a letter from somebody who's realizing that maybe he has some fair weather friends. We are back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, you take this one. All right. This one is from a listener named Virgil. Virgil says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, my younger brother Jack died suddenly on Thanksgiving weekend 2019, and a day does not go by that I don't think about him. We had our disagreements like most siblings, but we never lost touch and we were always there for each other. Acceptance has been difficult. And while I've been blessed with a loving spouse and a short list of true friends who've walked with me through my grief journey, I've also discovered that I can't count on other friends. As one expert on loss puts it, grief rearranges your address book. This means I've had to add the loss of Fairweather friends on top of my brother's traumatic death. So I'm writing to ask you both, are there any movies or TV shows to watch that tackle the sense of betrayal that can wash over the bereaved? I've been successful at setting boundaries with the most egregious offenders, and I'm doing the work recommended by grief counselors, but some movie therapy would also be welcome. Wow. Well, Virgil, um, that sounds pretty tough uh, to have your younger brother go. I think that sounds um, difficult. I think I think the older the older brother, the parents, um, you know, I think I think you always want to be the one that that goes first. You expect that you'll be the one to go first. And somehow I always feel like um, if it's a younger sibling, a, a child, something like that, it's got to be extra devastating. Um, so um, I'm sorry to hear that. It sounds like you're doing the right thing. It sounds like you are um, uh, seeking help, you know, going to uh, going to counselors, um, setting boundaries, as you said, that all sounds um, like the right thing to do. I don't know. I'm I don't know quite what to say about this idea of fair weather friends um, who have kind of fled or vanished, uh, you know, uh, in the wake of all this. Um, I don't know if that's something that happens commonly. It's not something I've necessarily heard of before. I don't know what kind of friends these these are necessarily or what, what role they've played in your life. But, uh, you know, if you're setting some boundaries and uh, I, I don't know, maybe crossing a few off your list, um, maybe that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Kristen, what do you say? Yeah, I think it is the right thing to do, Virgil. And I'm sorry you're going through this. That's just adding grief on top of grief. And uh, I, I will say I did lose some friends when my mom died. Um, did you? I did. I did see the suffering of the romantic relationship I was in. I was in that relationship way too long anyway. Let's be real. That relationship <laughs> should have ended. It just kept going and going and going. But uh, that relationship, um, he really hurt my feelings and broke my heart because he was unable to know how to comfort me, how to deal with grief, how not to make callous jokes. Uh Um, It was incredibly painful. Uh, And, you know, there were certainly people in my life who they did not have a good response to grief because they were so uncomfortable about it that they would do things that hurt me terribly. And he was one of them. And And so uh, I'm sorry, Virgil, it sounds like maybe some of your friends might be in that category where they just are so overwhelmed that they don't know how to talk to you about grief, or maybe they're in the mindset of like, oh, it's been months now, stop it, let it go, because there are also those people. Um, I can say in the case of one of my friends, she said that, you know, 
looking back, she was really impatient about death because she'd never had anybody who died before. Yep, And it never occurred to her how much it would hurt to have somebody you love die. And that, yes, weeks later, you're still going to be sad about it. And years later, you're still going to be sad about it. But she just said, I was so emotionally immature, it never occurred to me. I'm like, oh, you're talking about your mom again. It's been like weeks now. What's going on? (laughs) And it's like, yeah. So yeah, Virgil, it really sucks. It really hurts. And I I think you're doing all the right things here. But yeah, you're allowed to feel angry about this. You're allowed to process all your feelings about it. And Rafer, you and I have a couple movies that we hope will help a little bit with that. Well, Kristen, let me hear your take. I want to hear, I want to hear, how how about if you go first this time? All right. Well, the movie I'm going to recommend is called Lars and the Real Girl from 2007. This movie stars Ryan Gosling as Lars Lindstrom. He is a young man living a secluded life in a small Wisconsin town. And in the movie, it's gradually revealed that his mother died when he was born, causing his grief-stricken father to just kind of become a terrible dad, actually. He, he became a distant parent to Lars and his older brother, Gus. Gus left town as soon as he could support himself and just essentially left Lars behind to be, you know, raised by the shell of a man. And, uh, and Gus only returns later once dad dies so he can collect his half of the house. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very painful ouch. But what he finds when he comes back to collect his inheritance is that Lars is not doing well. He's emotionally stunted. And before long, Lars takes on a new girlfriend who happens to be not a human, but a sex doll that he ordered through the mail. And her name is Bianca, and he brings Bianca everywhere. He treats her like a real girlfriend. He sits her down at the dinner table to eat dinner and so on. And the local doctor, played by Patricia Clarkson, suggests that everyone in the family and the town play along with this delusion, treat the sex doll like it's an actual person, and then they can hopefully all do their best to help Lars tap into whatever it is in his heart that's causing him to do this and help him. So here's a clip. We don't want anything to do with her. She's a golden calf. We all know what happened with that. He's not worshipping her. They're just dating. These young people have no willpower. He's sick. All right. He's sick. I guess we we were just hoping if we came to you, you could help, you know, just pave the way a little. If if you could just try to understand, it's... He is a nice man. I don't even know why we're here. This is... Oh, for heaven's sake, what's the big deal? Sally, your cousin puts dresses on his cats. Hazel, your your nephew gave all his money to a UFO Uh, club. Ernie, everybody knows your first wife was a klepto. She wasn't. Then why is she buried in a pair of my earrings? Yeah. Now that's enough. These things happen. Lars is a good boy. You can depend on me. I remember wanting to see this. Um, It's just another one of these movies that I didn't quite get to. Um, But I thought the premise was, you know, one of those... One of those interesting, very out there premises that, you know, could be, you know, that could bomb if not handled well, but could be really rich if if handled the right way. Uh, and but you said that you like this movie a lot. This is what this, you, you, you like it. Yeah, it's so quirky. It's so funny at times. Everybody really is doing the best they can in this movie. And there's something about a movie where everyone's doing the best they can that always makes me just want to cheer for people. Sure. And, you know. 
clearly on the surface, this just looks like a joke, right? It, it does look like an odd guy with his sex doll. But right. I want to make clear, Virgil, this is actually a story much like what you're going through. Because when you scratch the surface, you'll see that what this movie's really about is a man who was emotionally abandoned by his mourning father when his mom died hmm. and then doubly abandoned when his older brother left too. And this is somebody who people should have stuck by when he was going through this and they didn't stick by him. And through the movie, you see healing start to happen and you see people start to step up who probably should have stepped up earlier. And I hope that Virgil, it will help you to see you know, how some relationships can be remedied. And maybe not all of them can, and that's fine, because some people maybe don't deserve to, you know, be in your life. If those people fucked up that badly, they don't deserve your friendship, Virgil. But maybe some of these relationships uh, can heal. And even if those relationships can't heal, at least you'll be able to watch this movie and see you're not alone. You're not alone in feeling betrayed by certain people who love you when death happens. I'm going to check that out. I'm guessing not kid-friendly. I, I think it might be a little too psychologically complex for kids to understand the yeah. layers of things. I, I don't think it's too scary or upsetting or too racy. I just think that there may be a lot of metaphor happening here that the kids might not get. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I'll save that one for me and the wife then. But it's still a great movie. Definitely, Virgil. Please check it out. But, Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to Virgil? Well... I'm going to go back to an an old, old favorite from the old 1983. I chose The Big Chill, uh, one of my favorite movies. It's a movie I like. Um, I think it's a, a very beloved movie, but also a movie that I think probably many people haven't seen in a while. Um, and you probably know the plot. It's the story of a group of college friends. They're now in their 30s. They get back together for the funeral of their old friend, Alex. Um one is Sam Weber. He's a television actor. That's Tom Berenger. Um, Meg Jones is a real estate attorney. That's Mary Kay Place. Uh, my favorite, Michael Gold, a journalist, of course, for People Magazine. And that is Jeff Goldblum, who's fantastic. <laughs> um, William Hurt plays a Vietnam vet. Uh, Glenn Close and Kevin Klein are a married couple. Joe Beth Williams and uh, Richard Galloway are a married couple. There's a ninth wheel here, uh, a, a pretty young thing named Chloe, played by Meg Tilly. She was like this young chippy who was dating Alex and the rest of the group basically treat her like an infant throughout the entire film. And of course, over the course of the movie, old affairs come up, new affairs come up, relationships sort of reach their turning point, maybe their breaking point, secret feelings come to the fore, and one of the women announces that she would like someone to get her pregnant. Thank you very much. And of course, they also talk about their old friend, Alex. And here's a clip. So how about you, Michael? Tell us about big-time journalism. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, where I work, we have only one editorial rule. You can't write anything longer than the average person can read during the average crap. <laughs> I'm tired of having all my work read in the can. People read Dostoevsky in the can. Yes, but they can't finish it. <laughs> it certainly is a familiar scene. Yeah. I'm feeling very guilty about it. I mean, I'm happy to be here, but I am just sick about the reason. I'm going to bed. I'm sorry. We can talk about something else. That's okay. I'm exhausted. Good night, everyone. I'll be up in a minute. Good night, sir. Good night. Harold, I'm sorry. We all feel that way. All right, Rafer, I'm going to have to confess. Yes. I am one of the millions of Americans, or possibly world citizens, 
who loves the soundtrack, but maybe is only lukewarm on the movie. Oh. Is that terrible? <laughs> is that completely terrible? Completely like, fine. I, I listened to the soundtrack a million times as a little kid growing up, and then sure. by the time I finally saw the movie, I think my expectations were so high. I'm like, a soundtrack this good must be the best movie ever made. And then I saw the movie, I was like, I think the soundtrack's better. But, but, <laughs> that's, but that's just funny. me. That's just me. You love this movie, Rafer. Explain why it's a good movie for Virgil. <laughs> I do, although I'll you know, I'll tell you, I was kind of looking back at this um to refresh myself, and I it's it's Rotten Tomatoes score is not that high. Like it's it's something kind of so so. It's like in the sixties mm. or something. And I remember thinking, wow, that's awfully low for a movie that I regard um, even though it was about the generation before me, and so I didn't have that emotional attachment to it. But it's a movie that I regarded as this real landmark, uh, um, you know, in kind of grown-up cinema. And um, I just always had a real affection for it, and I thought everyone did. Anyway, um, you know, I, I think I think it's inarguable that this movie basically started an, an entire genre just about, right? You, let's all get together for a life event and probe some issues, mm-hmm. right? Four weddings and a funeral. This is where I leave you. The Breakfast Club even. Um, you know, it's got a lot of followers. Anyway, but the reason that I'm recommending it is because um, even though the theme, the, the overt theme is the 60s and being a baby boomer and what happens when you used to be a hippie and now you sell out, which is, you know, a kind of a timeless theme. But uh, running underneath that is the death of Alex, this friend who, as many people know, was going to be Kevin Costner, but all his scenes got mm-hmm. cut out. Um, I think you only see his hands uh, at the beginning of the at the beginning of the film. Yes, in the coroner's office, I believe, or the funeral parlor. In the funeral home, yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, everyone here is dealing with this thing in their own way, and some are kind of angry, some are heartbroken, some of them are dismissive because I think they kind of can't bear to think about it. Um, you know. Our listener, Virgil, says that people have let him down. And Kristen, I think, as you pointed out, it's possible that these people might just be ill-equipped to deal with this crisis. They they might just be too immature. They might be too self-centered. They might have not experienced it. And so they kind of don't know how. They're afraid. They shut down. They flee. Um, or... Virgil, you might be right. Maybe these are just some really shallow, ineffectual people, and you're just better off without them. Um, and that's sort of the other sub-reason that I picked this movie is because, you know, it's about a group of friends, and these are old, good friends. They'll always be friends. They'll always be there for each other, and kind of nothing can really change that. And so, you know, Virgil, I'm sure you have some of these people in your life, and this is the time to go back to those friends. And, you know, maybe this movie can kind of uh, help you remember what that's like and what friends can do for you. Oh, that is such a good lesson, Rafer. Yours, yours. It's a good movie. Yeah. It's not my message. It's the movie's message. Except the it's soundtrack's better. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Kristen! <laughs> and ignore Rotten Tomatoes. They're both good. It's a good movie. <laughs> So once again, those recommendations are from me, Lars and the Real Girl, as well as the soundtrack for The Big Chill. (laughs) And Rafer's recommendation is actually the movie, The Big Chill. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? 
visit our website, raferandkristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. And while you're there, be sure to check out the prescription pad. That is every movie and TV show we have ever prescribed on the show. We update it every couple months. So if you uh, look there and you don't see the movie or TV show you're thinking of, just go back in a few more weeks. It'll be there. We promise it will. (laughs) Another brilliant idea brought to you by Kristen Meinzer. Oh, stop it, Rafer. We're a teamwork. We make the dream work together. (laughs) All right. When we're back, we'll have our weekly What Should I Watch Next letter. We are back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next Letter. Rafer, take it away. Okay, this one comes from Kai. Kai writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm a huge fan of your personalities and advice. I recently watched WandaVision. After that ending, I don't think there's going to be a second season. I don't know what I can watch next that scratches the same itch. I love sitcoms and superheroes. I also really love the mix of funny and serious. I love how the show dealt with the themes of grief and trauma with such sensitivity and depth. I'm having a hard time finding something else to watch. What do you think I should watch next? Mm. Now, Rafer, uh, have you been watching WandaVision on Disney Plus? I would not say I have been watching, but I would say that I have seen it uh, because there was so much buzz about it. Um, And they had Mm -hmm. a pretty good ad campaign that really piqued my interest. You know, this sort of, you know, 1950s bewitched version of, um, you know, Vision and uh, Wanda the Scarlet Witch. That looked really interesting and odd. I think the the two actors are great, uh, Paul Bettany and uh, Elizabeth Olsen. And so I was I was curious and so I gave it a spin. And so me and my 10-year-old um, watched it together. And um, we were both a little puzzled by it and both a little not <laughs> quite sold on it. I'm not sure. I've heard that I have heard that the ending is a real, um, I don't know what to say, gut punch or something, that the ending has, a, has impact. Um, I don't know what that ending is. But I wasn't personally quite sure that I was going to be able to make it all the way through to the end. How about you, Kristen? Well, I am almost through to the end. And okay. for those who aren't familiar with it, Wanda is a superhero and Vision is a superhero. They're both from the Marvel Universe. Yep. And they essentially get reincarnated into a different family sitcom of each decade, starting in the 1950s, then the 60s, then the 70s, and then the 80s. And you'll recognize, you know, these tributes they're playing to Bewitched, as Rafer was saying, or these tributes to uh, Growing Pains in the 80s once they reach that decade. (sighs) The Dick Van Dyke show or something like that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's all perfectly clear what they're referencing in each episode of the show uh, when they're trapped in each of these different era sitcoms and so on. And so I really enjoyed that as somebody who is just a huge television enthusiast. And right. uh, I've you know done so much research and so much writing and so much consumption of sitcoms over the years. I even taught a class on sitcoms once on TV. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I, I just I think they say a lot about what our values are. They say a lot about fashion and culture at various times. I, I just sure. think they're so much fun to watch. But um, I will say this, I am not what you would call a superhero person. Right, you're not. And uh, I enjoyed the show mostly when uh, it was mostly about people trapped in a sitcom. And as the superheroes came more to the fore, my husband, Dean, was like, I love this show. It's getting better and better. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he got he got so excited. The more that the superhero element came to the forefront of the show, he was just like, "This is great." But you, not so much. It became less interesting to me the more we went into that. And I, I feel that one of the problems is that all these superhero universes, including the Marvel universe. They're so self-referential and there's so many inside jokes and you have to know 800 Bat characters and you have to know who this Bat right. character's cousin was who lived on this planet to understand the reference of this one symbol that's on this helicopter. And it just is like very inside baseball to me as, as the show yeah. moves along. It becomes more and more so. So I really loved the first several episodes when to me it was – calling back to certain kinds of nostalgia that are both delicious and problematic, but it got harder as we yeah. <laughs> as we got to the superheroes. That being said, that being said, um, Kai, you're not the only person who's written in about WandaVision. We've gotten so many letters from people saying that they want to know what to watch next after this. So you're not alone in this feeling of it was delicious and you want more. So Rafer, what are we going to prescribe to all these folks out there like Kai? Well, I'm not sure this is going to hit the nail quite on the head. But it was the first series I thought of while I was watching WandaVision, and it took and it took a, a it took a you know it took a couple of episodes before I kind of realized where the film where the series was going, and then that's why I, when I sort of made the, the the connection between this series I'm going to recommend, which is an old series from the late '60s called The Prisoner. Um, and it's a, do you like the prisoner, Kristen? I do like the prisoner. I like it so much cause it's so freaking weird and the costumes are adorable. Yes. I love those cute costumes and yes. I love how weird it is. It's so totally. weird. Totally. Uh, yeah, we you know it was a, it was a big splash in the UK at the time, but I think over here it's, you know, it's mostly been a, a cult item. Um, but it stars an actor named Patrick McGowan, um, not wildly famous at the time, I don't think, but he was also the creator of the series. Um, and for whatever reason, the executives at, uh, not the BBC, but the other one, the ITV, uh, they let him run with it and they gave him this weird ass, almost, you know, <laughs> impenetrably strange sci-fi Orwellian series. Um, so he plays a guy who apparently works for a secret government agency of some kind, MI6, something like that. A uh, very stylish dude, kind of a James Bond, kind of Alfie, kind of a Get Carter type. Uh, one day he turns in his resignation papers, hops into his uh, convertible Lotus 7, and is going to drive off into the sunset, only to wake up in a place called The Village. Doesn't really know where it is. It, it's very pleasant. Looks kind of Italianate. Looks a little bit like Versailles. Could be anywhere. Could be somewhere in England. Who knows? Who are all the people around him? He doesn't know that either because nobody uses names, only numbers. He's given the number six, by the way, and he doesn't know who's in charge either. Who is number one? And that is the big secret. That's what number six is trying to find out. He does manage to escape once or twice, but always, always he finds himself back in the village. Here's a clip. She told me she was an Estonian. In the village. The village. She was known as number eight. Don't you know about the village? I'm here to ask the questions, old boy. That's what number two used to say. Number two? Chairman of the village. What village? I forgot you don't know, do you? The village is a place where people turn up. People who have resigned from a certain sort of job have defected or have been extracted the specialized knowledge in their heads is of great value to one side or the other. Are you sure you haven't got a village here? Rafer, this is such a fun prescription. It is about somebody who 
almost has certain superpowers, you know, working for this government agency. Right. And is trapped in this world that is so adorable. But adorable doesn't mean that it's good. Right. <laughs> right. But it's so adorable, isn't it? This village is so cute. Everyone in it is so cute. All the clothes are so cute. Right. But is it really a good place to be? Exactly. Just like the sitcoms on WandaVision. They're these sort of realities within a reality, which I think lends itself to a lot of, you know, trippy ideas and kind of, you know, lets your mind go into like literary theory and philosophical puzzles. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a it's got I think what's what's great about the series beyond whether it totally holds together logically, which it frankly doesn't, but it's just it's such a great pop cultural mishmash of the moment. It's got, you know, the Cold War. It's got James Bond and the Hippie Revolution and George Orwell. Oh, and the Beatniks. Pop, oh, those damn know. Beatniks. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. Turtlenecks <laughs> yes. and Blazers and just... You know, and then of course the best thing in the in the series really is uh, is Rover, the giant inflatable balloon yes. that uh, <laughs> comes out of nowhere. If you try to escape, just comes out of nowhere, hunts you down, uh, might just trap you and bring you back, or it might just suffocate you and kill you. You never know. Um, anyway, it's just a it's a great trippy, weird uh, series, um, and I just love the whole kind of idea it promotes, which is you know if if I can escape from the village. But somehow someone always has the power to bring me back to the village. Then I'm a prisoner even in the world. So what is freedom? Mind equals blown. You know what I mean? And I just love that. Um, the emotional impact that I think our listeners asking for, not really there. I'm just going to tell you that much. Not a big emotional impact. But... Fun and inventive and trippy and enjoyable. The Prisoner. Oh, such a fun recommendation, Rafer. I haven't thought about that show in a Thank long you. time, but it is. Yeah, I hadn't either. I hadn't. I really, I honestly, I hadn't either until I was watching WandaVision. I kept thinking, what does this remind me of? And that was it. <sighs> um, so, Kristen, what about you? What's your recommendation? Well, I'm afraid mine might be a little too obvious after your prescription, Rafer. Yours is so far out and fun. <laughs> That's all right. No, come on. Come on, yours are always good. Go for it. All right, so I'm prescribing a movie from 1998 called Pleasantville. Now, oh yeah, Pleasantville uh, was hugely popular at the time. It was considered quite inventive. It starred Tobey Maguire as David, a high school student who is obsessed with this 1950s family TV sitcom kind of reminiscent of Leave it to Beaver. And a mysterious repairman comes to his house to fix his TV one day, played by Don Knotts. And uh, the TV repairman somehow creates a way for David to escape life into that black and white TV program that he loves so much. And somehow his rebellious sister Jennifer, played by Reese Witherspoon, also ends up transported to this little black and white TV show. And, of course, David being obsessed with this show is initially wild about this. He, he just cannot get over how perfect everything is in this world. Everything always goes as planned. When you try to shoot a basket, the ball's always going to go in. Everything is so perfect in this world. Of course, Jennifer Reese Witherspoon, she, as I said, is rebellious. And so she gets into this world and she doesn't think it's perfect. She wants to shake shit up and she wants to do all the naughty things and she wants things to be a little bit more interesting and a little bit less lined up. And before you know it, this world is starting to change from black and white to color because these two are there. Here's a clip. Hi, you, bud. Hi, Skip. But can I ask you a question? Sure. Well... If I was to go up to your sister, 
What I mean is, if I was to go up to Mary Sue... Oh my Sue, god. Are we in that episode? What? Oh, I don't believe this. What's the matter? But you want to ask her out tonight, right? And then you want to give her your school pin. Yeah. How do you know? Look, Skip. I don't think it's a real good time for that right now. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is, uh... Mary Sue's a little different lately. She won't go out with me? No, no, hey, 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 I didn't say that. It's just that right now she's... I don't know what I'd do if she wouldn't go out with me. I'm sure we'll work something out. Kristen, I think that's... You hit the nail right on the head with Pleasantville. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's it's funny. I hadn't even... I, I'd completely not even thought of that movie while I was watching it. But I mean, while I was watching WandaVision, but that's it. I mean... That's 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 really it. They should they should sue for copyright. <laughs> You're right. It really is a great movie. It is so fun to watch Reese Witherspoon and Toby Maguire navigate this imaginary world and also as the color comes in, it's so enjoyable to watch how the whole universe changes because obviously color is a metaphor for lots of things in this movie. It's, you know, when things are black and white, everything's perfect because it's either good or bad. It's either up or down. Right, right. Everything's a binary. But as soon as color comes in, we start dealing with things like nuance. We start dealing with internal conflict and bigger world conflict. And all of that comes into this world and it's so much more beautiful and it's so much more complicated. And you get to real feelings of, in some cases, disappointment and sadness and distress and some of those deeper feelings that maybe Kai and all of the other WandaVision fans out there also want. Oh, I think that's I think that's a great recommendation. And there's another one that it makes me think I should show uh, to my kids. I remember that being pretty family friendly, right? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's been a long time since I've seen oh, it. Oh, yeah. Especially your older son. Yeah. I think that he would get it more than your younger son. Um just, I think he might be more likely to get some of the, these references to right, the past. Right. Oh, that's great. That's 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 abs. That's absolutely perfect, Kristen. Oh yay! I'm so glad you think so, Rafer. And I love your recommendation too. I think it's so fun. Well, I think we've got two good ones from Kristen Pleasantville and from me, the old British television series, The Prisoner. And Rafer, I guess that's it then. That's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. We so appreciate it. And if you haven't done so already, please join our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash group slash Rafer and Kristen. Join the hundreds of people there who love movies, who love TV, and love talking to each other about movies and TV. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.